In Governor Kathy Hochul's budget proposal, there is funding for a 1.5% cost of living increase of the wages paid to workers at nonprofits in the human services sector, which contracts with the state to provide services for seniors, young people, the homeless, disabled, and many more New Yorkers. To discuss funding for these staff and other issues facing the sector of nonprofits, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Michelle Jackson, Executive Director of the Human Services Council, which is the voice in Albany for nonprofit human services organizations. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Well, the 1.5% cost of living adjustment or COLA that I mentioned at the top is going to impact people doing what kind of work exactly? And when we think about these staff, what sort of compensation should we think about in terms of their, say, hourly wages? Human services workers really are critical to New York, and they do some of the most essential and life-saving work for New Yorkers. And taking a step back, human services, I think when people think about human services, it's a really wide array of programs. It's some you might expect, like senior centers, services for those experiencing homelessness, but human services is also childcare, after-school and summer programs for youth, mental health, domestic violence, uh, drug and substance abuse programs. And so a lot of people from all walks of life come into contact with human services and human services workers at some point in their lives. And these programs improve the economy and also the quality of life for New Yorkers all across the state. And therefore, the workers who are doing that work are absolutely essential. During COVID, we talked a lot about essential workers and human services workers should have been included in those conversations. You know, homeless shelters stayed operative, home delivered meals, mental health care, other essential workers still needed childcare, right? And so that's who we're talking about when we talk about human services workers, is people who are on the front lines of in New York every day, ensuring that other people can go to work through childcare or senior programs, and also making sure people have access to food and healthcare, whether they can leave their homes or you know come to a center. So it's a really wide workforce doing a lot in our communities. So that's who human services workers are. And when we think about their wages, I think it's important to start by saying that government is the predominant payer and therefore setter of wages for human services workers. Nonprofits contract predominantly with the state and local government to provide human services on behalf of government. And therefore, government is the one who really sets the rate of pay on a lot of those contracts. And unfortunately, those rates are pretty low. Human services workers are the second lowest paid industry in New York behind restaurant workers. And most of the work that needs to be done requires a college or master's degree level of education. Well, the proposed 1.5% increase comes on the heels of a 4% increase last year and about a 5.5% bump the year before that. Is it traditional for the state to fund a cost of living increase? Or are the recent years a break from, say, the last decade plus in Albany? So unfortunately, or fortunately now, but unfortunately for history, it is a break. Governor Hochul is the first governor in 15 years to do a cost of living adjustment. We applaud her. We're so happy to have you know a governor who understands the importance of the human services workforce and is working to reverse the low wages. Unfortunately, it comes after 15 years of stagnant uh, wages for human services workers. There in 2008 was a statute passed to ensure that human services workers got a COLA based on the consumer price index. And Governor Cuomo deferred that COLA in the budget pretty much every year he was governor. Therefore, we're 15 years behind. So what Governor Hochul and the legislature have done in the last two years has been welcome. But it's there's a lot of ground to make up when it comes to human services wages. Well, what has been the consequence of the relatively stagnant wages? 
So the first thing is that's how we get to be the second lowest paid industry in the state. Our wages have not kept up with the true cost of living and nonprofits have done what they can to bridge that gap through private fundraising, you know, still trying to provide some increases here and there. But that also means that that money that they're privately fundraising instead of going to services or to put a new roof on or do strategic planning is unfortunately filling the gaps. And we really have seen idea investment in human services wages by the government, which has resulted in really large turnover rates. We have organizations that have 40 to 50% vacancy rates at their organizations and have a hard time attracting talent and keeping talent in the nonprofit, the human services world. And what that means is that clients do feel that if you see a new caseworker every six months, you know, you're not getting the same quality of service, even if that caseworker is great because people want to see consistency. And it also means that nonprofits use a lot of resources to hire and train people who may not stick around. So we're seeing that, you know, high vacancy rates along with burnout. And I think it's really important to mention that this is a community jobs, right? These are not jobs that you're going to outsource and send somewhere. They're good jobs in communities. They're overwhelmingly women and people of color who hold these jobs. And so by having taxpayer dollars pay poverty wages, we're really doing a disservice to our economy and our communities when we could have really great paying jobs that are essential to New York. Well, sticking with this upcoming fiscal year, what is the cost of living adjustment that you would like to see adopted in a final budget? So we'd like to see a 3.2% COLA because that's what the consumer price index is this year. And following Governor Hochul's 5.4% COLA two years ago and the 4% that was you know shared between the governor and the legislature, we think this is you know good steps forward in terms of etching away at that divestment in human services. So we'd like to th- see the 3.2% working with the governor and the legislature to get that up from 1.5. But then we also want to see some systemic change both to the COLA legislation and to also how we pay human services workers. So we're also looking to pass wage board legislation this year to really sit down with the state and talk about the COLA is absolutely important, but we need real wage parity and equitable wages in the sector. Oh, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for Capital Press Room listeners just joining us. We're speaking with Michelle Jackson, Executive Director of the Human Services Council, which is the voice in Albany for nonprofit human services organizations that provide services for seniors, young people, the homeless, disabled, and many more New Yorkers. So the conversation we've been having so far is primarily in terms of percentages, but let's pivot that to actual dollar amounts. So, for example, the governor's proposal, a 1.5% cost of living adjustment, which you and many others in this space say is inadequate. What does that actually translate to in terms of the cost and and share of the state's budget? So a 1.5% COLA would be a a little under a $100 million investment and the 3.2% COLA, which is what we're asking for and follows the consumer price index for this year. So it's what human services workers should get on their state contracts would be about $200 million. And is this money that we would need to get from our own state coffers or because of the way contracts are provided or the services that we're offering? Is any of this money that is potentially flowing from federal dollars and we wouldn't necessarily have to cover the entire cost ourselves? First, it's predominantly would come from the state budget and so the state coffers, but absolutely the state does draw down funds from the federal government in terms of some of the programs around housing, homelessness, mental health. You know, there's certainly ways in which there are matching funds from the federal government that come down to this. But I also think in terms of it's pretty good value. There's over 800,000 human services workers across New York state. And so this is a 
pretty small number compared to how many workers would be impacted by this COLA. And it also has a trickle down effect of this is money into the economy. There's plenty of research that shows that when wages go up for kind of middle workers, that those dollars flow into the economy. So there's a huge return on investment by making this investment in human services wages. Well, thinking about the state investments in nonprofits more broadly, not just the money for the workforce, do the contracts themselves that nonprofits enter into to provide a wide variety of services, services that I think a lot of people just associate with the state, even if it is actually nonprofits providing them, do the state contracts actually represent the full costs of delivering those services? Or do you have to find other sources to actually make these services fully realized? It's definitely the latter. The nonprofit sector absolutely Frankenstein's funding together in order to provide quality services. So the state and other localities are the predominant funder in the contract for human services. But in New York, at least across the state, nonprofits really kind of cobble together contracts from various government entities, including the state and also add in private donations and philanthropic dollars in order to kind of bridge the gap. We say on average that nonprofit contracts with the state and the city are cover about 80% of the real cost of, of providing those services. So nonprofits, when they take these contracts, they're absolutely private fundraising to fill the gap. And also these contracts last between seven to 10 years without any kind of cost escalators in them. That's one of the reasons we have to do this COLA advocacy to try to kind of bridge that gap. And we all know the cost of everything goes up every year. So even if when a nonprofit takes a contract at the start, it may cover most of the full cost, by the end of the contract, they're absolutely subsidizing it. And that is one of the reasons that also leads to low wages is it gets harder every year for nonprofits to kind of fill that gap. Well, given the important work that nonprofits do, I have to imagine, though, that the state must look to sign off on contracts and issue payments to contracts in a very expeditious manner. Unfortunately, that would not be the case. What? (laughs) (laughs) I love being able to add a little sarcasm into the conversation. It's, you know, unfortunately, the contracting process is really arduous. Um, Nonprofits submit every single expense down to the penny um, when they are contracting with the state. And unfortunately, the state can be slow to process contracts. And, you know, if you're a construction, you know, if you're building a bridge or you're building a building for the state of New York, you don't start work on that contract until the contract is registered and all of it's in place and you know your money is coming to you. And human services organizations don't have the same luxury. You cannot close a homeless shelter and wait for a contract to be registered. If you're doing after school, you have to start it in September when the kids go back to school. You know, you can't wait until a contract is registered. So nonprofits across the state often start doing work on contracts before it's registered. And that obviously creates legal risk. But when I say not registered, it also means nonprofits are doing that work without getting paid because you can't get paid on a contract until it's registered. So that kind of late payment and, and delays in contracting kind of exacerbate nonprofit funding issues. Well, coming back to the issue of compensation for this workforce, there is a push, uh, it's not super strong right now, about getting this workforce sort of looped into the state pension system, which is very lucrative and also is seen as a, a way to attract people into the state workforce. Is that something that you think is a meaningful way of getting people to actually enter and maybe stay in the nonprofit workforce if that type of benefit was provided by the state? Yeah, I think that the state should look at every 
opportunity it has to increase the value of nonprofit workers because they rely on them so much, right? The state has really contracted out most of the services that we as citizens would expect to see them provide, you know, housing, homelessness, having those experiencing homelessness, doing domestic violence programs, after school, et cetera. And so if you rely on these organizations and this workforce, then looking at, you know, central insurance programs and pension and things like that, where the state can actually help save nonprofits money and provide better benefits to nonprofit workers would absolutely be great. And so we support that um, exploration and also want to make sure that that doesn't distract from, you also just need to pay your workers better. Um, They do need better benefits and saving money on benefits is important, but at the end of the day, the state should be only providing contracts that have living wages for human services workers in them. We should not be using taxpayer dollars to provide property wages out to the sector. And we see a lot of contracts where they expect social workers to be paid forty dollars or $45,000. And that's a master level education. Um, so we absolutely support other ways to lift up benefits as well, but with a laser focus on pay them better is the important starting point. Well, we're going to have to leave things there. We've been speaking with Michelle Jackson. They're the executive director of the Human Services Council. Michelle, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on to talk about such an important issue. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a statewide union of nearly 700,000 professionals in education and healthcare.